welcome to the Power of Two podcast on all things diabetes for healthcare professionals who are working with people with diabetes at the grassroots. I'm Jane Lehman and I'm a registered nurse credentialed diabetes educator. And I'm Kiralee Chambers, Advanced Practicing Pharmacist and Credentialed Diabetes Educator. We welcome you back and this is our third podcast and hope you check the last one with the information that you can also find at www.edhealth.com.au and just put in a search for P2 Podcast. That way you can find the previous editions as well as the links and information that we pop up for you each time we do our podcast. Kiralee, we decided this week to cover the Australasian Diabetes Congress. We thought that we might cover it in a bit of a different way because after covering the Roche Day in more detail, some of the themes that, yes, we'll be talking about through the conference were already covered to some extent. We would just pick out a few themes over the next month or so of podcasts and link it with some of the information that is coming up in the conversations, discussions and work that we're doing around diabetes. Yeah, I think that's a good idea rather than try and go through each of the lectures and the information sessions that we went through. It's probably and more relevant to our day-to-day work if we do that do you think yeah yeah yeah. and that way we can also link the summaries in the um on the website yeah Mm. so that you can find out a bit more about what was in the conference what we'll do instead is put up links on the website p2 podcast page links to some of the blogs that were written by people with diabetes in diabetes voice who all attended the conference and acted as a journal board and uh, shared a lot of information and tips and ideas from what they were all hearing so you can go and have a look at it there yeah that's a good idea i think First off, we thought we would share with you something that happened on the Tuesday night, the conference. Yes, let's do that because people uh, don't understand that less than 1% of people with type 1 get a complication called hypoglycemic unawareness, which means that people are not able to understand when their blood glucose levels are dropping low. So I was diagnosed with that about 20 years into having type 1, which again means that I'm unaware of my blood glucose levels dropping low. It usually doesn't have any impact of me when I'm awake but of course new research would show that people are unable to respond when they're asleep and they always used to think of course that was just because you're asleep but they now are starting to understand that the body has the inability to release glycogen stores from the liver because you're horizontal so of course when you're lying down yeah you told me that recently and I had not heard that before Mm. so it's a combination of things usually Mm. but also of course because you're asleep you have the inability to treat yourself so does that mean we need you to sleep like a bat in future (laughs) maybe (laughs) strapped to a wall Uh, so you're upright yes because I'm not sure that that would work either no hmm. because because we did end up having a bit of an event around the hyper one awareness on the Tuesday night, uh, Kiralee and I were uh, blissfully asleep after having had a big day. We were certainly walking a lot more than usual. I would have to say I don't think you were getting enough food where we were going. Yeah, and that's always an issue, again, having multiple autoimmune disorders. So I have four that are recognised. 
one of which fortunately is uh, celiac disease yeah. so I have to stay away from gluten and so that poses uh, some problems for the caterers unfortunately we were at an event that night the Tuesday night where they basically forgot to cater for me having been to a lot of these events with you now this is not unusual no it's certainly not and I know that you advise everybody yes I advise them in writing uh, they were advised four weeks two weeks yep. uh, three days and on the day so from what we can gather not the organizers no it happens in the kitchen Correct. So don't, we're not having any comment about any of the companies that organise sessions. They are very diligent around passing that information on because in, in the diabetes world, we do have a lot of people with special eating needs Yes. because we have a lot of people with type 1 diabetes, that have other, other chronic auto, conditions. Yeah, yeah. have other autoimmune conditions. Mm. Once you get one autoimmune disorder, it happens frequently that you get another. And once you have three, it's continued to get more. So Daunting. Yeah, so it's well known that there's never one reason for causing mm. hypo and a major hypo is defined as where you need third party intervention either to help you treat or a glucagon and, and or paramedics. Mm. Um, so again, there's a combination. We walked a lot both on the mm. Monday before and the Tuesday and I had taken that into account, certainly. I had been sick a couple of weeks before so I dropped a couple of kilos of weight which again I'd taken into account. Um, but then there'd also been the food restrictions, mm. for want of a better word. Um, and normally when I have not had enough food, um, I would go home mm. and eat more going to bed. But I didn't have the capacity to do that because we were staying uh, in a hotel yeah. where there wasn't the ability to do that. And my blood glucose level was fine going to bed. However, I think it was a combination of those things. And the other thing that um, had occurred is uh, I wear, wear continuous glucose monitoring, which will turn my insulin pump off. But a new sensor had gone in that morning. Yeah. And I also have um, lupus, which again is an autoimmune disorder. And my lupus doesn't like mm. the continuous glucose monitor going in for the first 24 hours. Mm. So it's not as accurate as it can and should be for the first 24 hours. Now I took that into account as well. And while the monitor turned my pump off, it didn't do it into time to stop me dropping very low mm. because it wasn't reading it as, as accurately as it should yeah and I've I always know that and I always take that into account but those four or five separate things mm. combined to cause a major hypo yeah okay so QCDE masterclass for uh, yours truly because Kiralee has learnt to live with hypo unawareness that's why we share because Correct. you can't stay by yourself because you need that extra support sometimes that was good Kiralee prepared me beautifully she showed me the bag of <laughs> the enormous bag I might say of Kiralee's emergency supply when I saw that you were non-responsive but you weren't unconscious I could see what was happening and I just went into automatic mode and thought okay just keep your cool you've just got to assess you've got to work it out uh, where's the bloody glucagon? <laughs> so not only am I trying to keep Kiralee safe, but I'm trying to work out where the hell we'd put it, even though you'd shown me. I, I tried to do a blood glucose reading. What did I get? Ketone strips. Yeah. So I kind of was just looking at what I had there. I assume my ketones were zero, given I was probably very low. Sorry. I don't know. Obvious. I don't know. And then I thought, I, okay, should I look for the glucose? I thought you 
idiot. No, just she's unco- she, she's like out for the count. Get the glucagon. So because she'd prepared me so well, found the bag by the side of the bed and hands are shaking, get out the glucagon thinking, oh, thank God we've got glucagon. And then in my head, I'm thinking, I hope she's got enough stores. I hope the glucagon's going to work. So, you know, you've got this internal monologue that's happening the whole time that you're doing this. And meantime, my good friend is 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 looking in a bad way because i've had to manage a lot of uh, sarah's seizures that prepared me imagine what i would have been like otherwise got the glucagon was so proud that i mixed it without dropping it yeah without losing half the dose yeah because we teach loved ones of people with diabetes Mm. on insulin to do this but there's no backup support the first time that my carer ever had to do this for me he was in a state of panic he'd Mm. never given anyone an injection before and i had a seizure he injected the water down the sink and then went oh my goodness now i don't have anything lucky i have backup glucagons he just went and got another one but again you teach people to do this not understanding how panicked they will be at the time and for you this is the first time even though you've educated people mm. for 35 years about diabetes this is the first time you've actually had to inject someone and this is why we were calling it the master class yes and i'm very yeah. glad i passed it because i gave the glucagon into your arm um. and called the ambulance now what's interesting with the calling of the ambulance from a hotel room in darling harbour is that darling harbour is in a suburb this is news to me. And I didn't know that. It's news to me. So I ring the triple O from, well, you've got to get a line out first. Ring triple O. Oh, maybe I did it on my phone. I don't know what I did. I can't remember some of it. Did the triple O and you get the person on the line. Now, they won't dispatch someone until they know the suburb and where you are. Which is so fair enough. I was in there saying I was at the Oaks yes. in Darling Harbour. And they were saying, where, what suburb is that? And I don't know what state they were in either because remembering they're not in the same state quite often anymore where they do the calls from. So I'm trying to prevent the rising panic. I don't know the address. Mm. Now, that will never happen to me again Mm. because I will have the address written down wherever I go to a hotel now because if they don't know the address, they can't dispatch someone. So she was talking to me and I explained that what, what we've done so far, I just wanted them to come. And so we looked on the back of the door and I'd looked there before when I had the phone, but you know, in my panic, I couldn't see the address and it was in really tiny writing. So again, <laughs> this stuff is serious. But you still weren't coming round. Because glucagon can take up to, again, up to 10 or 15 minutes. But from what I've been told, because again, I've never experienced it, because uh, I am not conscious at the time, 10 or 15 minutes can feel like feels, a very long time. It is. And mm. I've had that with Sarah's seizures and things in the past. So at least I felt more prepared. The lady on the phone was brilliant. She said, okay, now we've got that dispatch. Ring downstairs to the lobby and tell them. The Oaks were fantastic, the staff that night. They had someone at the door waiting for the ambulance. And they also had two people come up and check things out. Then they were at the lift and uh, then... The two most wonderful paramedics in the world arrived at the door. 
Now, New South Wales Paramedic Service, kudos to you because these gentlemen were word perfect in mm. their language around diabetes. You were starting to come round as they came in through the door. I had managed to get you to sit up and you were ready to be able to take some jelly beans. And it was about 15, 10, 15 minutes. Mm. And so you were starting to munch on jelly beans. And so I was feeling a lot better when your little eyes opened and you looked at me. I was, I was even happy everyone a little bit later because she started making jokes but what do you remember so I do remember waking up and turning the light on and thinking I'm too low to treat myself I need to wake you up I remember speaking although I don't know that it was words and then I remember thinking I'm in serious trouble and really that's all I remember I have memories of people being in the room yeah. one in a suit not the paramedics. So he was, was the manager. Manager, so I have vague Because he looked over you as you were starting to become so, conscious. So I do have vague recollections of a guy in a dark suit and then really not any proper recall until... Did, did you remember me? I, I do remember you being in the <laughs> room at... At, at times, but really the first proper recall was the band-aids on my fingers because every like glucose uh, check, they gave me a band-aid and I remember looking <laughs> at, at my hand and thinking, why do I have all these band-aids on my hand? And that's what you laughed, that's what we were yeah. laughing about. Yeah, the most recall I have and that was a long way yeah. in. Yeah, oh, so, because you then also had some glucose gel. Yes, and a fair amount of jelly beans and that would have been a good half an hour to three quarters of an hour after the glucose yeah. gone. Had, had been injected. So when so, you actually came round from the glucagon, your level was 1.2. 1 1.2, 1 yeah. So what would have it... I mean, I hate to think what it was. It would have been under 1, probably. Yeah. But I don't often speak about the severe hypos, and it is very exhausting because it takes a lot of energy to be replenished the next day. But given the fact that there is so much misinformation about people bring this on themselves or they're not managing their diabetes well, and that there was a lot of chatter at the conference about um, people feeling that it's okay to talk about complications, I thought it a good platform to speak openly about that. Mm. But people continue to say, why did that happen and how come and what did you do? Mm. Um, and it, there was a whole lot of chatter and re-education around, I don't do anything to cause this. Mm. This is something that I've lived with now for over 15 years. Mm. And what prompted this was a combination of events all just clashed together. And it was quite a complicated group of things as yes. when you take into account the sensor. And the sensor was interesting because until two days before this occurred yes we were having conversations on twitter around you not knowing from your application for special consideration because i have been self-funding for six years the cgm continuous glucose monitor and i had applied under the national diabetes service scheme to get it paid for because mm. it's not cheap to do and mm. i had committed funds obviously because that's the only thing that keeps me alive i do have vague recollections of the sensor alarming mm. so it had obviously alarmed it had obviously turned my pump off and that is what saved my life yeah had it not done that I probably wouldn't have woken up because I certainly don't think either of us would have woken up it if we had have been in two different bedrooms oh absolutely like we have been previously yes. in some places that is the first 
serious hypo I've had since I've been yeah. self-funding CGM. So that's the first one in six years that I've had. So the really good thing is that because it got approved a couple of days before, correct, we are able to start a sensor 24, 24 hours, hours before. before. Because I, I'm not having to try and drag those sensors out for as long as I possibly can. Mm. You know, like they're $100 each. They're not cheap. And the transmitters are not cheap either. So I won't have to try and wear them for as long as I possibly can. I can start a second sensor. It can mm. get a chance to wet while I'm still wearing another sensor. In theory, this potentially won't happen again. And that's what really hit me was that we were in shock. So... You know, we managed to keep you home because the um, paramedics stayed longer. We got your levels up. You ate some food and then they were brilliant because they were then happy to let you sign saying, no, it's all right, I'll stay here. Yes. It's one of those tests I'm really glad I passed, mate, because it was a really good insight for me. One that the scary thing is that a lot of things went right. Yes. that night as well yeah that, um, is, that is very true you, you know, i always worry about someone who is on insulin that never has a hypo because it means that their levels are elevated but we also <laughs> should be open and honest that this happens and it, it's probably happening more frequently than people are willing to admit mm. because there's so much shame associated and so much guilt mm. associated with this Mm. Um, and it's not people's fault that 35 or 20 years plus into having type 1 or sometimes type 2 mm. that people lose their awareness of having low blood glucose. It's also the downside of type management. It is. You know, if we want to keep people, increasingly everyone's talking about time in target. Well, that automatically increases hypo risk. And yes. what causes hypo unawareness is a combination of things to do with how often you have hypos. But it's also around the glucagon response in yeah. people in their pancreas. So it's the loss of alpha. So there's beta cells which produce insulin and then there's alpha cells which produce glucagon in response to dropping blood glucose levels mm. and there is now a theory that some people lose alpha cell function mm. which is why islet cell transplants work because they don't just transplant the beta cells mm. they transplant the alpha cells as well yeah and the alpha cells produce glucagon in response to dropping blood glucose levels we might even try and put an article up yeah we'll have a look for one we'll try and put one up with this week's edition the wednesday i think we were in in shock we turned up at the conference i don't think to be fair we learned anything much on wednesday my brain was a bit fried and we needed to also get the prescription because this is the other thing you're out you're away from where you are we needed to get some glucagon because we were not comfortable with going to sleep the next night without the trusted glucagon well the irony was when i got home i found a second because i always pack two yeah i know i always pack two and the irony was when i got home i found the second glucagon where but, was it uh it was in my backup was it in your backup backup yeah I I always take two I knew I'd take but given the fact that we were looking for it on the Wednesday and my brain was a bit fried but we did end up going and getting a second glucagon and we had South Australian rep Henry from Novo Nordisk he was was like a knight in shining armor he was great he yeah. helped us enormously and so kudos to Novo for helping us out with all of that because everyone, I have to say, was showing a lot of care and concern around what we'd both been through because we very much were a team and it was, it's been very useful to be able to debrief each other with the experience as well. Mm. So you can't beat that kind of thing for learning, I'm afraid. No, it's nothing like hands-on experience. <laughs>
and the masterclass was passed. She lived to see Kate to for another day. <laughs> That's right. I need my buddy to do the podcast. And we also thought that because of the whole concept of acute complications, that we should balance it out with a little bit further discussion around the chronic complications that were being discussed because there was some really interesting chats again around language and how we make people feel around the diabetic foot. We talked about the word complication last week on the second podcast and whether we should be continuing to call it complication mm, yeah. or whether we should be calling it a health outcome. I don't care, to be honest. Yeah, or um, associated health issues or yeah um for those who didn't listen to it please go back and um have a listen we talked about last week was that we ensure we're not threatening people with the word complication um and that we ensure that we don't use fear tactics that's the Mm. most important thing and we use the word complication or health outcome in the right context that's what we decided last week yeah and there's a lot there's some new guidelines that are out that we heard about at the conference but we also heard about at a session we went to last night that ergo medical put on like a round table to discuss how we can do better with preventing foot ulcers in people with diabetes. Yeah, so Ergo Medical, their tag is healing people, which I really like. I like it too. I like that. So again, it's about person-centred care, not just <coughs> the ulcer or not just the foot. They, they look at the whole person, so mm. person-centred, which I really, I really think is a great catchphrase. And that was the real focus at the foot disease session we went to yes. at the conference. Had uh, talking about complications diabetic foot disease in Australia. There were four speakers and there was a lot of conversation around how it happens but also about taking the pressure off the foot when there's an issue. And one of the things I took home from that was the whole conversation around young Aboriginal people who have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes when they're young. So by the time they're in their 20s they're facing foot conditions but also renal disease and facing amputations because what we're finding out is that type 2 diabetes in the young is having a much more aggressive impact on their vessels. Yes. And so I did hear in the session that they were playing around with 3D printer, for example, to try and make some different coloured devices, those great big foot casts. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. That um, make them more likely for kids to wear because... That's a great idea. How, how uncool would it be? Oh, no, a Zimmer boot. They're so uncomfortable. And I do wonder how many podiatrists and all of us have ever tried one. Yeah, I've certainly seen them. I actually haven't put my foot in one, but Mm. they just look uncomfortable to me. And I saw a grumpy pumper. He was walking around Yes. because he has had a complication with his foot. And one thing they said last night that was interesting was how people can get really used to walking around in these devices then they start to be inefficient because they get damaged and so they're not taking the pressure off so much yes and that they also said that because they're supposed to not be weight bearing they start to get a lot of hip joint dysplasia mm. and back issues because they're not centered correctly because mm. uh, they've got one foot <coughs> higher than the other foot and it causes all sorts of issues and oh yeah it would. yeah and uh, the other thing that i took home from last night was really interesting in that they're not safe at work so they often um can't go to work mm. so they don't wear them jumping out of bed to treat a hypo again and so they're not going to put their whole boot on to i hope to you don't ever try. have to have that's a really interesting thing jane <coughs> i don't ever jump out of bed to treat a hypo i have hypo staff uh, right beside my bed i'm amazed at the amount of people that have to climb down the stairs and that was the example she used last night yeah. someone had to climb down the stairs to treat a hypo which means that, that they're not getting 
the appropriate education. So last night also we got to hear some language that shocked and amazed us Mm. with acute care presentation uh, around the the foot and one of the really big representations of people facing up to the amputations and these chronic ulcers that need healing is men who have diabetes, who are single, who are living on their own and have mental health issues. A lot of people with mental health problems more likely to smoke, more likely to drink alcohol. So if we know that that group of people is high risk, then when you hear someone say in a session that they were there because they had failed yes. in their diabetes treatment, yes, and it was like it was like a message that comes up saying diabetic failed, yes. And it was very confronting. I mean, we were really quite shocked when we heard someone actually say that in a yes. presentation. Yes, particularly coming from the ADC, where there's so much understanding that that language is no longer acceptable, mm-hmm. and yet we're still talking diabetes complications in in the same type of forum, and yet that was something that was presented mm-hmm. in the exact opposite way. Mm-hmm. I find difficult I've actually found it a little bit difficult to swallow last night really I don't think we did swallow it really <laughs> I don't think we it was I, I quite think, interesting I think we did bring them to account with some of that and the fact that primary care we need to be focusing on and at the time I sent a tweet out asking a group of people for their top three radical ideas around how we support people who are at high risk we talk about this 4,400 amputations in people with diabetes each year and Diabetes Australia are launching the fact they're going to be doing a big project around this. We need to start evaluating the profile of the people because I suspect that there's an over-representation of people with a similar profile and we need to be designing strategies to get to people with that profile much earlier and the responses that came back on Twitter were talking about some of the strategies that have been done in the UK and one was that they targeted the social work and people who are working in mental health around having a look at people's feet but making sure if they were limping or they look anything unusual to trigger getting them reviewed quickly. Yes. They halved the number of amputations mm. in that service by doing that. Mm. Through social workers? Through the social workers being educated yeah. and knowing in a practical way how to support that person with mental health problems who also has diabetes, who's also at risk of the chronic ulcer. That just makes reasonable sense though, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Yeah. And the other thing I found, particularly last night, was there's a very large disconnect between the high-risk support services and the low-risk... And what role does primary care have an enormous ongoing? Role. An enormous Even role. in the high-risk person. Yes, and that's the, that's what we're now seeing, a failure of the system. Mm. Not a failure of the person, no. never a failure of the person. It's a failure of the system to not better support that person because they can't go to hospital, and mm. that's what one of the nurses that works with um, chronic ulcers were saying mm. they don't belong because it's not an acute setting it's an it's a chronic setting yeah. where these people need to be better supported and they don't know where to go and so they come to casualty and then they're admitted to the vascular ward ready for an amputation essentially because everything has spiraled so quickly yes but it hasn't really it's but it started it's, spiraling many many years before that's correct in people not identifying people who aren't engaging with the health services whose 
levels are staying high, who's got other health issues that are keeping them at higher risk as well. Yes, so, so better support. Got to turn it upside down. Like, sure, Absolutely. you've got to do the high risk stuff, but we seriously need to be taking a closer look at what we're not getting right in protecting these people from much earlier. That's correct, yes. So, like we've said a number of times, we always have to go back and look at what we're not doing. Yes. It's not necessarily just about the person, it's also about us as healthcare professionals. We're not supporting these people well enough. Mm. If they're not engaging, there's a reason that they're not engaging. And we've got to get smarter at getting some research around what's needed. Yes. And so I think especially for men who don't have someone permanent in their life or being involved in their life, they are at really high risk of of cardiovascular disease, renal failure, and also the ulcers if if they're overrepresented in the microvascular area. And I'm hoping that the work Diabetes Australia are going to do will include some of these high-risk groups that the group last night were able to say, bang, 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 bang. Yes, but again, as you say, they're over overrepresented because they're the ones landing in their services. Yeah. It's all the people that we still need to target mm. to stop them getting there. Mm. I guess on that note, Kiralee, what we've done today is have a bit of a chat around the health issues associated from an acute point of view and from our own personal experience mm-hmm. around hypoglycemia unawareness and the role of CGM and glucagon. Yep, mm-hmm. because it's not the person with diabetes who needs to give it. Correct. It's someone else. It's the third person. And then we've also looked at the foot to look at people with diabetes and their feet. Yes, it's also about the peripheral vascular mm. and we go searching for blood clots. Mm. Um, but it's not just that, it's also about peripheral vascular disease yeah. in general. And the impact on feeling things. Correct. That's it from us for podcast number three, Kiralee. Yeah, P1 and P2. P1 and P2. Now, we don't know who should be which one. We'll work that out at some stage. But... Oh, I think we should keep them guessing, don't you? <laughs> I think we should too. Unless someone's got a suggestion as to who should be what. That would be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Have a look on the website, www.edhealth.com.au. Search for P2 Podcast and you will find the other podcasts, but also the information that we're going to add from this week's podcast. It's goodbye from uh, Kiralini. And it's goodbye from Jane. Bye. Bye.